we're not going to stop the cyber attacks by building bigger walls, spending more money in technology. We're going to stop these cyber attacks by putting the people behind the attacks in jail. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're jumping straight into our main story today about ransomware attacks, which right now are on a different scale. In just the past few weeks, newspaper headlines have repeatedly directed our attention to ransomware attacks that have ever-increasing real-world effects. The attack on Colonial Pipeline in the United States led to a gas shortage and a panic in the eastern part of the country. The attack on Ireland's health service executive led to delayed and canceled COVID-19 vaccinations and delayed and canceled medical treatments. The attack on meatpacker JBS led to a shutdown of operations in Australia. Ransomware is a big business right now, and the scary truth is that it doesn't have an easy answer. Yes, the U.S. government is finally taking an active stance against ransomware. President Joe Biden signed an executive order that puts new restrictions on tech companies that sell their software to the federal government. The TSA rolled out a cyber directive that will force all pipeline companies in the U.S. to report cyber attacks. And the Department of Justice clawed back the majority of the ransom payment paid by Colonial Pipeline to its attackers, the ransomware group called DarkSide. But the big question many of us have is, will any of this work? And in fact, why isn't what we've been doing working at all? Ransomware, it isn't new, not by any means. So what makes 2021 so different? Today, to help us understand what we can do to get on top of this situation, we're speaking to Brian Honan, Chief Executive Officer for BH Consulting, a cybersecurity and data protection firm. Brian is also a former special advisor on cybersecurity to Europol's Cyber Crime Center, and he has acted as an expert advisor to the EU's Agency for Network and Information Security, and he is the founder of IrisCert, Ireland's first computer emergency response team. Brian, so happy to have you today. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, David. Thank you for having me. With that, let's just get right into it. In the past month, like I said at the start of our show, we have seen more frequent and more severe ransomware attacks across the world, including those against HSE, Colonial Pipeline, JBS, and Fujifilm. Ransomware, again, it isn't new. So what is causing this sudden onslaught? It's a very good question. I think many of us are scratching our heads trying to pinpoint exactly what the catalyst is because as you rightly say david it's, it's nothing new ransomware has been around since the 1990s and but it has exploded over the past few years and i think there's numerous drivers behind it first and foremost is it makes money for the criminals that's what motivates them is making money the more money they make the more motivated they are and the more willing they are to go back out and attack companies and become victims I also think what has been a big problem is our own approach to dealing with not just ransomware, but indeed many other type of cybersecurity problems. We seem to think we can either buy our way out of the problem or we can get ourselves out technically from the problem. So 
when it comes to cybersecurity, those two things often intertwine and people think the more tech I buy, the more safe I'm going to be. And that necessarily is not true. Uh-huh. And so we've been looking at that, scratching our heads, going, okay, the technology's not working. I know I'll pay for cyber insurance and the cyber insurance will solve the problem for me. But that hasn't made the problem go away either. And, and in fact, there was a recent interview by, I can't remember the name of the magazine at the top of my head, but it was one that's the uh, Ryuk ransomware gangs, an alleged member of the ransomware gang who was interviewed. And he said, we actually target companies that have got cyber insurance because we know the cyber insurance companies will pay the ransom. And therefore, that's why we target those companies. And the subsequent question asked was, well, how do you know which companies have got cyber insurance? And the response was, well, we have hacked the cyber insurance company and we have their customer list. You know, (laughs) we've been trying to solve this problem with money and technology, and that alone is not going to fix it. And I think you talked there at the top of your introduction, David, about President Biden's executive order. Mm -hmm. And that is going to help, but it's not going to solve everything either. We have here in Europe, we have what's called the, the Network Information Security Directive. And underneath that directive, any companies that are deemed to be critical network infrastructure, so government agencies, utilities, etc., they are legally bound to report breaches as well. So uh-huh. I think what we have seen in the past year in particular is it like a perfect storm of lack of regulation and oversight by various different governments with regards to cybersecurity, lack of oversight and governance by companies over cybersecurity, regardless of whether they have to comply with GDPR, PCI, CCPA, or whatever other regulations out there. Cybersecurity has been low on the priority order for many of these big bodies. It's been seen as being a technology problem that can be solved by technology. But in fact, cybersecurity and which ransomware has really, really highlighted is more than a technology problem. It's a societal problem and it's an economic problem. And indeed, if you take the case here in Ireland where our entire health system is offline, many hospitals don't have IT systems as a result of the cyber attack, it's a national security issue as well. You spotlighted so many things that I want to get back to, (laughs) particularly that money and technology cannot solve this problem alone, and yet money and technology are the two things that we have been relying on just repeatedly over and over. I will get back to that, but before I get back to that, I did want to kind of drill down here on the state of today, because like we said at the intro, right, what we're seeing, at least from news reports, it looks like it's the worst it's ever been. From my perspective, it's the worst it's ever been, and my perspective is a little different. I'm a writer, I write about these things for the Malwarebytes Labs blog, And my perspective is, oh my gosh, another one. Okay, who's going to cover this one? I wanted to ask, what we see on ransomware is just what's being reported. And often that's also just what's reported in our own country, right? We have a very 
narrow view of what's happening. We only see what's happening into which extends to our national borders. But I also assume that there are countless ransomware attacks that are going unnoticed. They're going unreported. So I'm wondering, how bad do you think our situation is today? Look, I don't want to give the impression that abandon hope all ye who went to here, you know, uh, <laughs> give up the fight. Yeah. I think for every ransomware breach, there's probably 10, 20, many more companies who haven't been breached and who've successfully repelled potential attacks. Mm -hmm. But saying that there are a lot of companies being impacted, my company, for example, we regularly assist victims of these attacks. Typically, they would be, you know, they can range from multinationals or right down to small businesses or startups, which have been hit by a ransomware attack. I'd say we deal between, it's not huge numbers, but we assist maybe three to six companies per month in recovering from a ransomware attack. And some of it can be quite simple. You mentioned at the top of the call there that I've been a special advisor for four years with Europol's Centre for Cybercrime, and they have set up the nomoransom.website. So it's uh, mm -hmm. www.nomoransom.org. And up on that website, they publish all the known decryption keys. So we've been lucky. There have been times uh, companies have been hit and they've been able to download the decryption keys from that website and recover their data. Others have had good backups and have recovered the data, and then others, unfortunately, have had to rebuild their systems. Yes, there is the discussion whether they should pay or not. We advise our clients not to pay, but at the end of the day, it's a business decision. You raise a very good point there. There is a lack of reporting of this problem to the authorities. Again, we do encourage any of our clients who are victims of cybercrime, be that ransomware or otherwise, to report it to law enforcement. And the reasons behind that is not that we're trying to say to our clients, look, you, you report this crime, the police will have the people behind it in bars within a week. That definitely is not the case. But law enforcement agencies, they cooperate internationally. And that's one thing we need to remember is that when it comes to ransomware uh, gangs and the people behind it, these ransomware attacks, it's not one gang or one individual. It's often a series of different affiliates or gangs working together. So you may have one gang, for example, who will infiltrate a network and they will sell that access to somebody else. You might have a another gang who write ransomware as a service and one of their affiliates will subscribe to that. So you, you have many different groups working together who, who else they, they, they trust each other and they were close together. But on our side of the fight, we need to have good international cooperation as well. And by reporting to law enforcement, whether you're in the US, Ireland, UK, Australia, wherever you may be, China, Russia, etc., reporting to law enforcement, that gives law enforcement more information, more intelligence that they can put together to try and create a bigger picture as to who are behind these attacks and get enough data to eventually take these gangs down. Because we're not going to stop the cyber attacks by building bigger walls, spending more money in technology. We're going to stop these cyber attacks by putting the people behind the attacks in jail and making criminals feel there is a higher risk to reward ratio than there currently is 
In other words, that if they go down this path, there could be a chance they will end up in jail. At the moment, many of them feel invulnerable and untouchable, and that's why they're so brazen in what they're doing. So I think that's where we need to try and bring along is, is by working better with law enforcement so they can share information better internationally as well. All of these things are things that we are, I think, at least in the United States, only starting to hear about, right? International cooperation. We have our ransomware task force. I don't even know if they're ours, right? I believe they might be a multinational group of companies, right, that have proposed a framework, right? Here's how we start cooperating. This is a global problem. This is not isolated to one environment. I did want to go back to something you said there about how ransomware works, about how ransomware gangs, how they cooperate with one another, how they have a better information sharing network, it seems, than our law enforcement agencies, or they're at least better equipped with that, right? Because like you said, there are so many folks who don't report it, that law enforcement is blind to this. One thing that I have found a lot of folks maybe have trouble understanding is that getting hit with a ransomware attack, it's not like downloading a virus like from a sketchy website or just getting a virus from like, you know, way back in the early 2000s from like torrenting something that you shouldn't have torrented. Ransomware is like the end result of organized crime at this point, right? I'd argue all cybercrime is the result predominantly of organized crime at this stage. Ransomware just happens to be one of the most profitable branches of cybercrime, and that's what we're hearing. We're hearing about ransomware now, David, because it's hitting all the headlines. As you and I have just said, ransomware has been around for years and it hasn't made the same level of headlines. But there's still a lot of other malicious software out there as well. And, and I think we need to make sure we don't lose focus on other types of cybercrime just because ransomware is getting the headlines. Now, it is a big threat. And what's happened, I think, even coming back to what you mentioned about police forces is, yes, a lot of our police forces, and I've dealt with many throughout the world, have very capable and very motivated individuals working with them in those cybercrime units, but they don't have enough resources. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough equipment. International legal transfers and ways of cooperating internationally are tied down in legal treaties, etc., which makes information sharing between different police forces can be quite slow at times, which is one thing that Europol has provided within Europe. Europol is a European agency that enables police forces in, within the EU to rapidly share intelligence and information. And it's been very good at gathering information to help fight against cybercrime. Yeah. Europol was behind like the Emotet takedown, right? Yeah. I think if your listeners haven't done it already, I would urge them to go to YouTube and to look at the video of the Ukrainian police doing a raid on the gang members of the Emotech gang just to see how much money was left lying around. And you can see the police counting gold bars and silver bars and stacks of euros and dollar bills. And you just, you just send yourself, my God, you know, like that's just what they had in pocket change lying around this, this <laughs> this house, you know, what other money have they got lying around in Bitcoin wallets, etc. And if you, if you take Clone Pipeline, they paid, what was was it, $4 million? Yeah, uh, $4 million. Okay, some of that money got back, but there's been many other millions of dollar ransoms that have been paid. Mm -hmm. And you now have a 
a criminal gang with the budget to spend more and more money yeah. and to become more and more effective. And yet on our side, we have our hands tied because of international cooperation, our lack of international cooperation is probably a better way to say it, under-resourced police forces, under-resourced national cybersecurity agencies, and on the private sector in many companies, cybersecurity teams are finding it tough to get budgets and resources to fight against things as well. And in a way, it's an unfair fight, and we need to rethink how we approach cybersecurity. And we need to have better ways of cooperation, better engagement with government so that they can bring more, better international cybercrime laws to enable and cybercrime treaties to, to put those people behind bars who are carrying out these attacks. And we need companies to take cybersecurity better. And I would also argue, you kind of mentioned with President Biden's executive order about software vendors, we need all software vendors, including cybersecurity vendors, to take security much more seriously in their products and provide more reliable, more secure products out to the marketplace at the end of the day. Because these attacks, when we think, you know, we often think about cyber attacks, so they're just attacking computers. Well, they don't attack just computers. Cloning pipeline should hit gas supplies in the US. That caused gasoline prices to rise. Uh, that hit your economy in the US. Here in Ireland, our health system, IT systems were down. That meant people couldn't get operations. People couldn't get cancer treatment. People still can't get cancer treatment, still waiting for tests. This is hitting people's lives. There are real victims out there. And as I said, we've worked with many companies, some of them small companies, who felt they had invested properly or done things properly in accordance with recognized IT good practices, but still got hit by a cyber attack and then ended up having to spend more money in recovering money. They probably would have been much happier to spend on a sales and marketing campaign to generate more business and create more jobs. Yeah. So cybercrime is having a serious impact on our economies and it's hitting people. And we need to start thinking cybercrime and cyber attacks don't just affect computers, they affect people and raise the bar in how serious an approach we take against those behind these attacks. Thank you for sharing and making it clear to listeners that, like you said, these attacks aren't attacking computers. <laughs> they're not. No. They're attacking organizations and they're attacking us. They're attacking people. You said earlier that, you know, BH Consulting, you're helping three to six folks a month with this kind of stuff. And, and you said that sometimes it's simple. Hopefully there are, the decryption keys are already available through nomoreransom.org. Can you tell us what it looks like? And, you know, you don't have to say anyone's names. You don't have to identify in details, but what is it like when it's not simple? Oh, it's a nightmare. I have seen a CEO cry where they've been on the phone to me. Well, sorry, yeah. they've been on the phone to me video conference and we're talking through the situation and we're saying, okay, we've no decryption keys. In, in this particular case, the IT company had set up, there was a 30-person accountancy firm and this attack happened last October, it's October 2020. And the reason it sticks out in my mind is that October, November here in Ireland is the time of the year where companies have to do their tax returns, their annual tax returns. So it's the busiest time of the year for accountancy firms. Oh, and man. they got hit by a ransomware attack. Their server was encrypted. All their shared folders were encrypted, which had all the data for their customers. 
they outsource their IT to a local provider who has set up typically standard IT environment with regular backups. It was backups onto tape and the tapes were taken out every night and a new tape put in so and replaced with a different one. And an email was sent to the company receptionist to say, you know, whether the backup failed or not. And if the backup failed, she would call the IT company. They remotely run the backup again. And if the backup was successful, she'd just take the tape out and replace it. It was only when they got hit by ransomware and we said, okay, let's restore from the tapes. We discovered whoever set up the backup software set it to only backup the root directory on the server. So just the C drive, not any data drive or anything else. So company was taught they were doing everything properly. And we, I had to bring the news to the, to the director and say, look, your backups are not good. They haven't been running properly. Sorry, they have been running properly. They just haven't been backing up the information you wanted to back up. We can't decrypt it. So the choices you have are rebuild from scratch or you pay the ransom. And in fairness, he was adamant he wasn't going to pay the ransom and he took the decision to rebuild it from scratch, but he had to go and contact each of his customers and explain that to the customers. So it was a tough business call for him and it was very upsetting somebody who built his business up over 20, 30 years to face the prospect of his business being shut down as a result of a criminals that decided to attack his company. Wow. There's so many of those kinds of stories, right, that we don't hear about. These aren't, I mean, in in the larger picture of the way people define businesses, you know, this is a quote-unquote small to medium-sized business, is 30 people. That's a lot of people. (laughs) That's 30 people who are paying mortgages, who are raising families, who children going to school, who are now in their company, not able to work on their computers, wondering, are they going to have a job tomorrow? Yeah. Right. And knowing that it's, you know, October, November, it's also right before the holidays. It's 30 people's lives in what is supposed to be an enjoyable time in the calendar year. I know that many people may be listening and go, yeah, well, look, if they had proper backups, they wouldn't have got hit, you know, or they had (laughs) proper antivirus software, you know, or if they patched their systems properly, they wouldn't have got hit. That's kind of like blaming somebody for being a victim of a crime because they crossed the street at the wrong time of night or or whatever. They are the victims of a crime. And that's another thing we need to get away from in our industry. We're particularly quick to jump on the blame the victim. Oh my God, I can't believe, believe Colonial Pipeline got hit. How stupid were they, you know? And we talk about things like patch all your systems. We're focusing our energies at the wrong people. The people who are to blame are the criminals. And that's where we need the focus to change to and where we need our energies to working together to put a stop to. And yes, okay, people are certainly responsible for, again, hold some responsibility themselves, but to blame them entirely for being victims of a crime, I have severe issues with that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because we see it too. We see it too, that there's a lot of victim blaming. There's a lot of pointing fingers at an organization or at people for not doing what are so-called best practices. And like you said in your example, look, you you were working with a firm that believed it was doing everything correct. That is more than a lot of folks. That's already pretty proactive. And just because, right, it wasn't 
set up properly the first time or it wasn't audited later, that isn't reason for the lens to focus on them and, like you said, away from the cyber criminals. I think it's a really good opportunity, right, again, to go back to that conversation about what do we need to do that's different and how did we get here? And you mentioned at the start of the interview that we've for so long tried to solve this problem with money and technology and it isn't working. Can you explain why we thought it would work? Because in my mind, I'm like, that seems, being in the United States, I'm like, God, that's such a market-driven solution. That's such a solution that is only produced by private enterprise. And I don't know if that works. I sometimes doubt it when it becomes this big of a problem. And so, yeah, I just wanted to dig in there. How did we let this get to where it is? Why did we think money and technology would solve it for so long? I don't claim to be an all-seeing oracle on any of this stuff, but then this is just my own opinions behind it. But I think there are several different reasons why. I think first and foremost is that cybersecurity has traditionally been an IT issue. It's always been viewed by the business people as being an IT issue. And those of us who work in cybersecurity are predominantly technical people as well. And when it comes to IT, it's either working or it's not working. It's binary. It's a one or a zero. There's no in-betweens. And if it's a problem, we fix the problem and we move on to the next problem and we fix that problem and we move on to the next problem and we fix that problem. We very seldom, and it's only recently that we're trying to move away from the quick fix mentality to maybe taking a more strategic approach to these problems. And, you know, a lot of getting the basics done properly is actually much more complex than it actually sounds. So you mentioned, and we both said it, actually, David, one day, you know, why don't you just patch your systems? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. So on the CISO, a major organization of 10,000 users, for example, and I report to the CIO. The CIO is being paid money and his bonus is based on how often he keeps the systems up and running and availability and making sure they perform within certain KPIs so that the business can operate. On the CISO, when I go, hey, Bob, or hey, Mary, we have to take down the, the exchange service for two days to patch them. That's going to be pose a challenge. Or we have to apply this patch to all 10,000 workstations. And when you do look in large corporate networks like that, you will find there are certain systems that are working on technology that's 10 years old. The back-end warehouse system is running on a version of Oracle that is out of date, no longer supported, but the vendor who provides us with the front-end solution hasn't got an update package or they too have gone out of business and we just haven't upgraded systems because there hasn't been a business need. So there's a whole lot of issues, you know, from a, an IT point of view is that our approach is technology can fix this. Let's throw more technology. Let's buy more software. Let's buy the latest hardware where the business have kind of left IT to us as well because they see IT is the domain of the techies. We don't care about it as long as my computer's is working in the morning, I don't care. So that's part of the problem. So we need to re-engage as professionals with the business management, the senior business management, say, look, this environment we're working in is causing a significant business risk 
And this is the risk to the business should those risks materialize. And in order for us to address those risks, we need to do A, B, and C. And it's going to take this amount of money and this amount of time and this amount of training to do it. And we need to get better at communicating those risks to the business and communicate them in, in the way that business understands. You just can't run to the business and say, we need to upgrade our email service because of GDPR. Business yeah. person will go, so what? <laughs> you know, talk in terms of business, potential of fines, downtime, maybe lost productivity, all that sort of stuff, but not in technical terms. That's where we need to get. And likewise, I think our governments need to realize that they need a longer term view on the internet and how important internet and IT systems are to not only their national economy, but the global economy and communications. And we've seen how important and how valuable computers and the internet have been during the pandemic. How many businesses have survived simply because people have been able to work remotely? I know many businesses have gone out of business or are still shut because they're not as IT enabled, maybe, but this pandemic had hit 20 years ago. I think economically, we would have had a much more significant impact because the internet and our technology wasn't as mature then as it is now to enable us to work better. And our governments need to understand that. And therefore, they need to be able to sort of say, okay, long term, we need to invest in cyber the same way we invest in other infrastructure like railways and roads, etc., to enable our economies to grow and thrive. And for our people and our citizens to be able to have a, a better quality of life as well. But many governments still don't understand technology or the impact it has, and therefore don't see it, in my opinion, still don't see it as being a strategic assets that they should. I did want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. Again, staying on the same theme of, you know, we need to start thinking differently about this. And you said earlier that cybersecurity vendors in particular have to start thinking differently about their platforms, about their solutions. I work at a cybersecurity firm, so I am extremely interested in this. Yeah, let's just dig in. What do you mean there? What? How can we start thinking differently? And is it in the way that we provide our products? Is it making the products less difficult to use? Yeah, what is it? Let's expand. It's a whole, it, it, there's a whole lot of stuff there, absolutely, David. And I gave a keynote at the Virus Bolton Conference in Madrid in 2016. And in that keynote, I compared how we operate as an industry against the airline industry and the how over the past decades, the number of deaths resulting from airline crashes has significantly dropped because of better accountability and transparency amongst all the different airlines and etc. So in the US, if there's an air crash, the NTSB goes on site, investigates what caused the crash, it publishes that information, and every airline takes action based on it. Every airline up and anybody who has anything to do with airplanes is properly trained, has to go through proper validation and has accountability for their actions as well. So if you're a pilot, you have to go through so many hours of training and ongoing training. You have, there are certain things, you rules you have to live by. 
When you're taking your flights, you have to go through a checklist to make sure everything is, is safe and secure. You have full accountability and responsibility, whether you're an airline mechanic or a cabin steward or air traffic controller. Everybody in that industry has accountability and responsibility. And should something fail, everybody is brought in into the scope of the investigation. And as I said, the root cause is identified. And whether that's additional training for pilots that needs to be done, fixes done to airplanes, processes changed, procedures changed, that is all thoroughly investigated and communicated and brought back out. In our industry, we don't have that. If you look at many of the big breaches, majority of them, we often don't find what the root cause was. At that conference, I talked about the Equifax breach, whereby there was a piece of software that was on an internet-facing server that the vulnerability scanner that Equifax used, it incorrectly didn't detect a vulnerability that was in that piece of software. So Equifax ran their vulnerability scanner. They came back and said, everything's okay. Equifax said, great. And then suddenly they got breached. Now, there's a whole other stuff there, but the key point on this is that I still don't know four or five years later what vulnerability scanner were Equifax using? Mm-hmm. And why did it not detect that vulnerability? Was wow. it lack of training on the Equifax staff? Yeah. Was it a configuration error? Was it an error in the product? Was it, an, you know, why, yeah. why did they miss that? And yeah. so we haven't learned from, like, I haven't, and nobody else that I know has <laughs> learned from that Equifax breach as to what went wrong. And coming back to security spenders, we started this talk about ransomware, David. End of the day, many of the things about ransomware, particularly a few years ago, now ransomware has changed recently, but ransomware in effect is malware. Why are the antivirus products we're using today, why were they not detecting ransomware? And in some cases, why do I have to buy from my security vendor additional anti-ransomware software on top of my antivirus software? You know, these are things that I question and sort of say, why why do we have to do these things, you know? And, and if you look at the license that we have for lots of software, and I know this is a bigger problem than just uh, security vendors, but if I buy a piece of software, I actually don't really own it. The end user license agreement is that I have a license to use the software. And therefore, anything that goes wrong with the software, I have no rights. To, I can't sue mm-hmm. Microsoft or IBM or Oracle or any other vendors because their product didn't work the way I expected it to work. So that's why I caught up vendors and go, look, we need better accountability and we need better assurances from all vendors, particularly our software that we rely on to keep our systems up and running and to keep them secure, that the products will work as expected. I wanted to begin wrapping up here with trying to, I guess, summarize many of the things we've been saying, because there was one thing in particular that you mentioned that I will come back to because it's so attractive in its simplicity. (laughs) But before that, it looks like there's a couple of things here in terms of getting on top of ransomware. One is, right, changing the industry. There needs to be accountability within cybersecurity vendors. That anecdote you gave about us not knowing which scanner Equifax used, like essentially gave them the all clear. The fact that we still don't know that. Wow. You know, like... (laughs) Hopefully one of your users is going to go, oh, that Brian Holland's an idiot. They were using... (laughs) Scanner X, doesn't everybody knows that? 
I'd be quite happy to hold my hand up and say, yes, I'm an idiot. I did not know that. But thank you for that with me. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass on that email to you. And then also, right, there's a need for a public, a government partnership, a public and private partnership, telling law enforcement, removing any darkness from reporting, you know, shining a light, having clear statistics, transparent statistics. We need to be able to, to find out what's happening. But the last thing, and this is what I want to get back to because it sounds so attractive because it is so simple, which is let's put criminals behind bars. Um, it's wild to me because, <laughs> because it's something that I feel like so many people for the past couple of weeks have been scratching their head and going, oh my gosh, how do we solve this problem? But to put criminals behind bars to, like you said, change the calculus that they go through so that getting caught is actually a detriment to committing crime in a perfect world, what does that look like? What does it look like to produce the end result where cyber criminals are captured and then put behind bars? How do we get there? It's a long road, I'm afraid. that There are no easy answers to it. So yes, it's nice and flippant for me to come out and say put cybercrimes behind bars but i do think ultimately that's the goal we should be looking at that's going to require governments to work together better internationally some of these gangs operate from jurisdictions that turn a blind eye to their activities because it harms western economies and that suits those countries own national interests or it keeps certain people out of unemployment while they're working in crime and targeting Western European or Western society, that's fine. They're, they're generating money and income and that's helping our own economies. So we need to make these countries take much more responsibility and that's something our politicians and governments need to focus on at an international level, sort of saying this type of activity is no longer acceptable. And at an international level, this is how we expect you to behave as a country. Regardless, and if you don't, this is potentially going to be the consequences. We need better international cyber crimes. There are some jurisdictions where cyber crime actually isn't a crime. So it's very hard to extradite people out of those jurisdictions as a result. So we need better laws, both nationally and internationally, regarding cyber crime. And we need our governments to provide our law enforcement agencies with the appropriate funding and resources for them to tackle the tidal wave of cybercrime that's hitting our shores. We need to make sure that they have the resources they need and the international frameworks are there, international cooperation frameworks are there to support them as well. So there's various different things we need to do. We could put countries on sanction lists to dissuade people paying ransoms. But we need to make sure that action and any of the other actions we talk about, we also look at the long-term consequences and suddenly that we're not having, creating more problems by solving one problem. So it's going to require lots of more intelligent people than me to sit around tables and to work out how best to cooperate amongst these, you know, and create these an international framework that we can make the internet safer, not just for Irish citizens or US citizens or whoever it may be, but everybody around the world. I like that you 
mentioned here that we need better laws that we <sighs> you can make a law and it can suck right and so it's sort of like who cares about that stuff and the reason i mentioned that is because in the past month or two we have heard more calls and i will say up front i have not thought through the nuances here so apologies but we've heard more calls to make it illegal to pay a ransomware demand and I think it's such a good encapsulation of our mode of thinking in that what we're focusing on is a continuation of blaming a victim. And I get it. I completely understand the arguments to, again, prohibit ransomware victims from paying the ransom. But like you just said right now, there are jurisdictions where cyber crimes are not cyber crimes. And it is interesting to me that what we are focusing on is instead hey instead of putting criminals behind bars have we considered punishing victims more and it's just it's so it's beyond what i grasp and again i haven't gone through the nuances maybe i'm missing something but it does feel a lot like what we've been doing for the past 20 years no it is and Making paying ransoms illegal is not going to discourage the criminals because they're already breaking the laws. Putting more laws <laughs> is not going to, oh, oh my God, no, we, we, there's another law that we're going to have to break. Oh, we better stop what we're doing. But I don't see the organized criminal gang sitting on the table thinking that one through, you know? Right. Uh, so, yes, you're right, David. You're putting the onus back on the victim. And the victim now has a choice. Do I pay the ransom and face the fine? And suddenly that becomes a cost of business or do I pay the ransom and hope I'm not caught and therefore I keep it quiet, which then comes back to the point we made earlier on about the more information we share, the better we are at identifying where the issues are that we can address them and everybody can be more secure. So outlaw and paying ransom demands, in my opinion, will generate the wrong actions. And I think, you know, a good example of that, and it's kind of probably why we are where we are, is coming back to the insurance companies. I have clients who have taken out cyber insurance, and the clauses in some of the policies are that if you get hit by ransomware, you have to contact us, and we decide whether or not you pay the ransom. And if we decide paying the ransom is the course of action to take, we will pay the ransom. Now, the insurance company was thinking that through from their own liability and cost there. How do we minimize claims on cyber insurance, not thinking, well, if we create a, a marketplace where criminals know they're going to get paid money for committing ransomware attacks, guess what? We're going to have more ransomware attacks. We need to think all these things through and think through all the potential consequences any new laws, any new regulations are going to bring in. So it doesn't bring out any undesired side effects that we haven't thought about. And I do agree with you. We're only victimizing the companies even more and making them either not admit they've been hit by ransom attacks and pay on the quiet, or we get the criminals who will suddenly go, well, look, we are so well funded now. We can target whoever we want and we'll target critical infrastructure. We'll take down your electricity supply. So are you going to pay the ransom or not? So, yeah, yeah we need to think these things through. It's not coming back to the one of the problems we, we talked about. This is not a on or off solution. It's not a binary solution. We need to think these 
these through and all the particular consequences through it. Brian, thank you so much again for being on today's show. No problem. Thank you for having me. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show.